Good morning, church. It's a privilege to be with you here today. Hope Markham, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 116. That's where we're going to be. And as you do, think with me about the relationship between the person in need and the rescuer who saves. Immediately what comes to my mind is the relationship between Netherlands and Canada. Even after 70 years post-Nazi liberation, people from Holland still give gratitude and thanks to Canadians like us because they're so thankful. That relationship between the needy and the helper, it's one that is characterized by gratitude. A deep sense of thankfulness because the person in need understands the desperate situation that was facing them and realizes that their rescuer was their only hope. And church, don't we understand that? Don't we grasp that concept? We, the people of God, face the greatest of all life-threatening situations. The judgment of God against us for our sins. We had broken the law of God. We had turned our backs on the living God. And for this, we deserve death. But God in his mercy, God in his love, sends his only son, the Lord Jesus, to save us and to rescue us. Therefore now, we who have been saved from the worst of all punishments ought to be the people with the greatest of all gratitudes. Church, is this you today? People of God, does your heart, is your heart frequently overflowing with thankfulness to God? If not, do not be discouraged. God's word has something to say to you today. In Psalm 116, we'll read the firsthand account of a man who experienced hardship and trial, but likewise saw the saving hand of God at work and became filled with praise and thanks and gratitude to God. In Psalm 116, a psalm of thanksgiving, we'll see the response of a man who recognizes what God has done, all with the aim that we would likewise join this man and give thanks to the Lord who saves us. Give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Now, as you look at Psalm 116, you'll realize, as you know already, psalms are worship songs. They're poems. And they would have been sung either by an individual or by the corporate gathering of Israelites in worship to the Lord. Now, in this particular psalm, as we'll go through it, you'll see that the psalmist neither identifies himself nor does he describe the specific situation from which he was saved. And this is actually to our benefit in essence, what the psalmist is doing here is that he's saying, as God has saved me, the individual, so he will save God's people, the corporate body. In this psalm, the psalmist portrays himself as a representative, as a case study of God saved me, therefore God will save us. God can save this individual Jew, God can save the people of Israel, and God has and will continue to save us, church. We'll see in this passage and we'll identify with the struggle, salvation, and the three responses of gratitude that this psalmist exhibits, all with the end goal in mind that we would give thanks to the Lord who saves us, who saves us both from sin 
and the trials of life. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 116. I'll read them, and that will take us to our first response of thankfulness. Look at your Bible, verse 1 and 2, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. This leads us to our first response of thankfulness. You can take note of it. It's this. Give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Love the Lord who answers your prayers. Love the Lord who answers your prayers. Look how the psalmist begins in verse 1. Look at your Bible. He he begins with this phrase. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. The author opens with this statement of fact, and in so doing, he gives us a window into the deepest depths of his heart. He gives us a picture into his soul. And what is found there? What is found at the core of the man? What is found at the center of his being? It's love for God. Love for God is what characterizes this man. I love the Lord. As you know, Love for God, biblical love for God, carries with it the idea of passionate affection for God and determined obedience to God. And this is what defined this man. This is what was in his heart. It was love for God. There's nothing more important to the man than God himself. Friend, if a spotlight were to shine on the deepest depths of your heart, what would be found there? Would it be love for God? Would it be dedication, devotion, allegiance to God? Or is your heart currently in a place of dispassionate indifference towards the Lord? Granted, it's true, even as the people of God, it would be dishonest for me to stand up here and state that our hearts are always in earnest towards the Lord, or that our obedience is unwavering towards God, and yet... Though we may be unable to love God perfectly in this life, we may still love him genuinely and sincerely. Friend, do you love God? Do you truly love the Lord? Or are you like those in the book of Revelation of whom it was said they had abandoned their first love? Are you like those in Matthew 24 of whom it was said their love for the Lord had grown cold? Well, friend, if you desire today to reignite your love for the Lord, look no further than to the pages and to the words of Holy Scripture. Here is the answer. See the rest of the phrase. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. If you want fuel for your love for God, see what it is here. It's through a deep meditation upon God's saving work in your life. If you want your love for God to be reignited, to be re-engaged, it's here. It's here. It's in this place of gaining a deep meditation upon God's saving work in your life. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. You see, the psalmist's love and gratitude towards the Lord flows from his recollection 
of God's saving intervention in his life. The two are connected. You mean the same way a bodybuilder lifts weights to get strong is the same way a Christian must always recall how God saved them in order to fuel their love for Jesus. They go hand in hand. You must remember and recall frequently what God has done for you. See what the the psalmist now describes as his situation. Look at how dire his scenario was. Look at your Bible, verses 3 and 4. The snares of death encompass me. The psalmist is saying here, like a hunter stalking its prey, death had captured the writer and was about to devour him. He says, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. The pangs of Sheol, it had shackled him. Sheol, the place of the dead. Synonymous for the Jew as being synonymous with death itself, the grave itself. The man saying that death had its grasp on me. I was near death. And then he says, I suffered distress and anguish. He was in complete turmoil and agony. He was in a seemingly hopeless dilemma. But then everything changed in a moment. And what brought about this change? Look at verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Everything changed with a prayer. For this man and for us, church, everything changed with a prayer. This man lifted up his voice to God. He stopped looking to himself. He stopped looking to other people. He stopped looking for rescue from somewhere else, and he looked to God. And when he looked to God, when he called to God, the God of heaven heard, and the God of heaven answered. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for you. In your weakest and darkest moment, you cried to God. You called out to God to save you, and he did it. And now you are here and you have life in Jesus Christ. Therefore, give thanks to the God who answers your prayers. Praise the Lord who answers your prayers. Give thanks to him. Church, I encourage you, rehearse your testimony frequently. Don't allow these things to become stale to you. Don't allow these things to become old to you. Rehearse your testimony frequently. Pray through the main tenets of the good news frequently. God, man, Christ, response. Develop the habit and the discipline of always reminding yourself of the gospel. Do whatever you need to do to keep the gospel front and center in your mind every day. Otherwise, what will happen is that your love and gratitude to the Lord will weaken. It will wane as your mind wanders away from how God saved you. How he saved you when you prayed to him. Give thanks to the God who saves you. Give thanks to the Lord who answers prayers. For you here today, or perhaps listening online, you may be thinking to yourself, why in the world do I need to be thankful to God? I mean, what's the big deal? Why should I be filled with gratitude to God? These words baffle you. And they baffle you because you've yet to understand the situation that you're in. You've yet to fully grasp the serious nature of the problem facing you. You've yet to grasp that you've offended a holy God. 
And that there's a day of judgment coming for each person. You've likewise yet to understand the great love with which God has loved you. You've yet to understand that God has sent his only son, the sinless one, to live a holy and perfect life, to die on the cross as a substitute, to rise from the grave, proving that anyone who would believe in him will be saved and forgiven of their sins. Well, today, let this now be the hour where you understand, where you realize your desperate need, and when you run to the rescuer. Today, let it be the day in which you offer to God a prayer. Like the psalmist who said, oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. You pray that as well. Deliver my soul from death, from destruction, from damnation. Pray that to God. Or pray the prayer of the sinner in Luke who said, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the wonderful news that the people of God in this room can testify to is that when you offer that prayer to God, he will hear Romans 10.13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, pray to God, call to him, and ask him to save you from your sins. Place your trust in Jesus Christ. The psalmist shows us in this first section of Psalm 116 to give thanks to the Lord because the Lord answers our prayers. Now he's going to keep going. Look with me at verses 5 and 7, and that will lead us to our second response of gratitude. Look what he says in verse 5 and verse 7. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. This leads us to our second response of thankfulness, our second response of gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Now trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. How are you to respond to what God has done? Trust in him. Trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. Now notice how the psalmist begins. He told us his dire situation. He tells us how he's so filled with love for God. And now in verse 5, he begins to recount the attributes of God. He tells us God is gracious, God is righteous, God is merciful. Why is he doing this? The reason why he's doing this is because God's attributes are always on display in his saving acts. God's attributes are always on display in his saving acts. Every time God intervenes in a person's life, he demonstrates the beauty and the glory of his infinite perfections. These very attributes are what make God willing and able to save you and anyone who calls on him. How amazing. This is the greatness of God on display. It's because of who God is that he's able to do what he does. In this context, when the psalmist says, speaks of the grace of God, he's referring to the undeserved benevolence which leads God to extend help to the helpless. When the psalmist speaks of the righteousness of God, he's referring to the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. The fact that God never breaks his promises to those whom he loves. When he speaks of the mercy of God, he's speaking to the fact that God is moved to pity and action when he sees the plight of the powerless. And it's because all of these things are true that he's able to save. 
And see now how the psalmist continues. Look what he says, verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. Simple being here, not a simpleton, not someone who's ignorant, but someone who has childlike faith in God. We see here that God saves those. He helps those who can't help themselves. He says, the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. Previously, he was in a time of chaos. Now his soul can return to rest because God has rescued him. Verse 8, or verse 7, the last part of verse 7. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Bountifully meaning richly, abundantly. God's saving grace to the psalmist is like a heavenly waterfall that just keeps gushing with goodness towards him. And then he says in verse 8, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The psalmist recounts for us, in case we forgot all that God had done for him, he tells us again how dark his situation was. And he reminds us once more that the light of God came in when there was no other hope. And church, God has done the same for you. God has done the same from you. Your God has rescued you from death. It says in 2 Timothy how God has brought life and immortality to life. That's for you, church. That's for you, brothers and sisters. This is what God has done for you. The psalmist said that God had rescued his eyes, stopped his eyes from tears. God will wipe away every tear from your eyes, brothers and sisters. This is the promise of our God towards his people. This is his love towards you. The psalmist says, and he speaks of how God kept his feet from stumbling. It speaks of in Jude how God is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God has done all of these things for you, believer. Therefore, give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Give thanks to the Lord who has saved us. And therefore, do not give in to the temptation of allowing your day-to-day circumstances to rob you of your peace. Don't allow the day-to-day circumstances of life to rob you of your rest. This is a challenge. Admittedly so, it's a challenge for all of us. We're all going through our own trials and difficulties. I mean, how can my soul be at rest when I have wayward children? How can my soul be at rest when I have financial instability? How can I be at rest when I have chronic health issues? This was the case for the psalmist. He faced the same scenario where the situations of life were causing him to begin to forget the goodness of God. This is what's going on in verse 10 and 11. He says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What the psalmist is doing in these two verses is what you do when you walk into your kitchen and you open the fridge. You're like, man, there's nothing here to eat. When in reality, there's lasagna, there's leftover chicken soup, there's bread, and there's all sorts of other odds and ends staring you right in the face. What are you doing when you say there's nothing here to eat? You're exaggerating. You've made a statement of hyperbole, and that's what the psalmist is doing here. He made a statement of hyperbole, and now he's going back to say, you know, you remember when I said those things about how my soul was greatly distressed, I'm greatly afflicted, and all mankind are liars? 
Now he's going back to say, you know what? When I said those things, I spoke out of turn. I made the, the picture, I painted the picture blacker than it actually was. The psalmist has realized that at a previous time, he spoke rashly, so rash, in fact, that those around him potentially may have questioned if he was still trusting in the Lord, if he was still trusting in Yahweh. But now he clarifies that even when he spoke out of turn, he kept believing. I believed even when I spoke. Church, this is a tendency for each of us. It's a tendency. Like on a gloomy day when it feels like the sun has disappeared forever, it's tempting to allow our present circumstances to cloud out the eternal reality of God's goodness towards us. But brothers and sisters, we must not give in to this temptation. We must not give in to this temptation to doubt the goodness of God. Rather, trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. Continue to trust God. Whatever your situation is, continue to trust the Lord. Because the truth is that however severe the suffering you are facing is, your eternal salvation in Jesus Christ is far more weightier and long-lasting. This is not some sort of positive thinking that I'm advocating for. This is not a pretending, acting like everything is okay when it's not. This is not to make light of the situations that some of us are facing in this room that are very dire. But rather it is to say and to remind us of how gargantuan, how immense, how massive the reality of our eternal salvation truly is. And how it dwarfs the sufferings of this life. This is what Paul was getting at when he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is what he's getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Believer, even when it's hard, trust in the Lord who saves your soul. Continue to trust God. Yes, we acknowledge that this life can be crushingly hard, but we also acknowledge and believe what is spoken of in Romans 8, 35 to 39, that we are more than conquerors, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. People of God, trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. And therefore, give thanks to the God who saves you. Give thanks to the God who saves you. Now, in this closing section of Psalm 116, the psalmist is going to ask a question and spend the remaining time answering that one question. Look with me at verses 12 and 13 and note the question that he asks. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? What am I to do in response to God for all his goodness to me? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? The answer, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. This leads us to our final response of gratitude, which is this. Give thanks to the God who saves you by praising God with all of his people. Praise God Praise the Lord with all of his people. 
The psalmist asks that question, how am I to respond to God? How, what am I to do in response to all the goodness of God? And this is a rhetorical question. And we've all experienced this, right? Like someone mows your lawn and you want to bake them a cake. Like you're just so over the moon. You're so glad. You're so filled with gratitude. You're like, man, I just, I, I just, I, I can't, I'm so glad that you did this for me. What can I just do in response? And in that moment, it's not as though you're trying to pay that person back. But rather, you're just so full of thankfulness, you can't respond with anything less than, well, what can I just do, to, do for you? Because I just, I'm so grateful to you. That's what the psalmist is doing here. That's his expression towards God in this moment. He's not trying to repay God, but he's trying to demonstrate his thankfulness to the Lord. And what is his response? What is the response to his rhetorical question? Verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. This cup is most likely referring to a sacrificial drink offering of wine poured out on the altar in homage to God. The type described in Leviticus 7 and Numbers 15. And in the act of this offering of pouring out this wine to the Lord, he says, I will call on the Lord. I'll worship the Lord. I'll praise the Lord. I will magnify and extol him as I'm making this sacrifice and offering to God. The answer is clear. How are we to respond to the goodness of God? How are we to respond to all of God's benefits? It's through worship. We're to worship God for all that he's done. It's to worship him. You see, gratitude and worship, they go hand in hand, two peas in a pod. They're, 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 they're brother and sister. They're always together. Gratitude and worship. When you truly understand what God's done for you, you're thankful, and therefore you worship him. Therefore, you praise him. Praise the Lord for all that he's done for you, but not only by yourself, but all the people of God. Note what he says here in the, in the continuing verses, verse 14. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the presence of all his people. So the psalmist has made his private offering and praise to God. But now he says, I need to now do this in the presence of God's people. I need to now join with the people of God and pay homage to the Lord for all that he's done. Brothers and sisters, it's wonderful if you have a private life of worship to God for all that he's done for you. But this verse, this passage would also encourage us, if not put the onus on us to realize that we also need to make that into a public thing, into a gathered thing, a gathered reality, that we're praising God together, that we realize that the good things that God has done in your life are not meant to just stay with you. You're to bring them to the gathered assembly, and we're to rejoice together as we rehearse what God has done in your life, and we join together and say, man, our God is so good. Look what God's done in, in my brother's life. Our God is so good. Look what God's got, done in our church. Our God is so good. We're to recall and remember and remind each other of how God has been faithful to us as individuals. And that is then to fuel worship in all of us together. That's what the psalmist is showing us here. To worship God privately, but to also, and more necessarily, Worship God together, to worship the Lord together. The psalmist keeps going, understanding what God has done for him. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord. Look at your Bible, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The psalmist has a new appreciation because God has saved him. He realizes then how precious the life of a saint is to the Lord. 
And that whether God saves a person and chooses to spare them from death in the day-to-day circumstances of life, or he permits them to die, God is no less faithful. Because for the believer, death is no longer master, but death now becomes the doorway to eternal life, to heaven. He keeps going and he says, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. He explains his new identity. That because of what God has done, he's a servant of the Lord. And he tells us, just as his mother was a servant of the Lord, he's coming from a godly lineage. Now he's walking in the footsteps of his mother. And he too takes on the identity of a servant of the Lord. Why? Because God has been so good to him. Give thanks to the Lord who saves you. And then in these last three verses, he reiterates what he said prior before. Verse 17 to 19. He says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Church, note how all of his thanksgiving here is corporate. Notice how it's all in the presence of the people of God. Notice how it's all together. I love what it says in Psalm 107 verse 2. The psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let those who have experienced the saving grace of God, let them testify. Let them give glory to God. Church, that's what we're to do. I encourage you, one of the ways that you can do this is to frequently ask each other, Maybe you've known each other for for numerous, many years. Maybe some of us are newer in our church here. But ask each other, brother, remind me, how did the Lord save you? Wouldn't that be wonderful that after the service, one of the things that we're talking about is, just remind me, sister, remind me how God had mercy on you. I I think I remember some of the the, the bits and pieces of what God did, but remind me, what what did God do for you? If God's done something in your life, share that with your small group, in your mixed group, in your men's group, in your women's group. If God's done something for you, share it in the way that you sing. When we're singing, we're singing words that apply to all of us. Why not sing loudly, joyfully, because those words, if you're a Christian, are true for you. And in so doing, you're adding to the praise and worship of our church. You're fueling the praise and worship of this church and acknowledging all the good things that God has done for us. Praise the Lord with all of his people. Give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Brothers and sisters, God has been so good to us. No matter the circumstances of life, you have the hope of heaven. You have eternal life. God's spirit indwells you. Therefore, we have every reason to give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Give thanks to the Lord who saves us. To be filled with love. To continue to trust him. And to praise him together. Give thanks to the Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, we praise you for everything you have done for us and for who you are. 
We acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We bless your name. Lord, help us. Help us not to forget all that you've done, but rather help us to meditate and to focus on your goodness. This world, it's falling apart. But God, we're thankful because we serve a God who is on the throne. And you demonstrate your sovereignty and your providence and your power in our salvation, our eternal salvation, and in the ways that you save us and help us in the day-to-day stuff of life. We praise you, good and awesome God. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.